Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week or a month or a year. I've actually lost count of days and lost all sense of timelines. My name's Tess Armstrong. I'm sitting in the hosting chair this week to give our beloved Emma Race a week off for reasons that we will get to, but I really couldn't think of anyone better to chew through another very wild week than my football-lacking Sanctum sisters. I'm going (laughs) to let them introduce themselves. Alicia Sometimes here. Good morning, Nicole Hayes here. Now... I have spent this week more than more than the weeks before because it was all the news about footy not being around. This week really noticing the lack of football in my life and I feel a bit sad about it because like as in sad as in I'm pathetic, but I realized it's not just the games, Yulon. It's I listen to all the pods, <laughs> all the things about football, all of the crazy stuff that you're not meant to look for, all the game recaps, all of the stuff and I can't kind of fill that void with anybody else. What are you two doing? I um, am just bereft because of footy. But at the same time, I might be a different voice here on the radio because I'm finding these things about football a distraction and Mm. I don't want to know about them right Mm. now. So usually where something like a podcast or turning on to a broadcast would give me a lot of comfort and fun and love and I'd, you know, look at um, stats in the paper or something... I absolutely don't care at the moment. So uh, people have been doing really fun things, and we'll talk to Tony Wilson later, you know, reliving grand finals and and doing things like that, whereas that just fills me with dread. Mm. And I'm going to movies like Bringing Up Baby or watching my (laughs) seventh time watching Outlander. Um, I love Bodice bodice Ripping. Hello. (laughs) And I'm just after that kind of comfort. So anything to do with football is actually making me quite upset. Yeah. I love the football community coming together and I love the people around the football world, but I'm just not enjoying anything, mm. any mention of football. Nicole? Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? I, To be honest, my life is so full of coronavirus um, conversation and I, you know, I think I have to pair it back. Mm. I think... It, because it, it does feel like the whole world should stop yeah, um, or should have stopped by now. And then you realise, oh, no, we have things like weather and, yeah. <laughs> you know, cyclones still happen and, and people get injured in other ways. And um, so I'm trying to be a little less uh, tuned into that because, you know, yes, it's a daily changing thing. And, um, you know, that, that sense of time, it does feel like a lot happens very quickly. Yeah. 
But on the other side of that, there, you know, there is only so much I can take on board and I probably don't need to know the specifics of the US mask wearing policy. You know, like I possibly yeah. could do without that in my life. It's actually quite interesting because you look, you listen back in history and I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, footy soon. But anyway, we look back in history and you think about the, the other big moments, the other big international moments. But there wasn't an international media like there is right now. You didn't know what was happening in every other place in every other part of the world. It's actually quite hard to, when it's nighttime here and you would go to sleep, it's the daytime elsewhere and Boris Johnson's getting coronavirus and you're like, Boris Johnson's got coronavirus. I find it impossible to tune out. Yeah. So one thing I've been doing is watching old comfort movies, like stuff I haven't watched for years, which makes me laugh because I've always said... You know how people say to you, oh, you should watch Succession, for example, the TV series. You'd like it. I go, yeah, I'm sure I would like it. I'll do it when I've got time. I couldn't have more time, but I'm still not watching Succession. I have watched Splash with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Turns out it was a weird movie to be my favourite movie when I was a child. I loved it so much, and it's actually quite saucy. I'm sure we should talk to a psychologist about your love of Splash, but also the fact that I think it, there is something in the fact to go back to that comfort, to go back to things that are repetitive and yeah. that we've seen and we like and we know when we trust, um, which is why I guess visit, revisiting the 1989 grand final later will be a delight. <laughs> but it, it is those things that you can see play in an uncertain world. It is yeah. a good thing. Probably less of a delight for Cats fans, but just saying. <laughs> and also separately, one other offshoot I didn't see coming, a thing that I didn't see coming. I'm actually, despite the odds, a little bit antisocial. I quite like being at home by myself. And I, you, I, I live out of Melbourne. I don't, if people say, oh, let's catch up, I can often say, ah, oh, I don't live in town. Awesome. Anyway, this new digital socialising, <laughs> I have socialised more in the last week than I have, I think, oh. in the last year. There's quizzes every night. There's Zoom parties all the time. There's house party app. I'm like, oh. Oh, the best Zoom was my six-year-old. There was six, uh, sorry, six nine-year-olds and er the screens were up and everyone was a picture of a, a dog's butt. <laughs> So, and I'm, when I say butt, I mean anus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway. we did actually understand that. Yeah, I, I mean, I got that. What other, what other dog yeah, butt? What other butt would you be talking no, about? No, but I mean that close. Can I know. I, can I call a kibosh on those people who um, are jumping on the uh, what am I going to do when it's all over yeah. kind of um, theories? There's people strategy. <laughs> they've gone way too early. You know, we're all Survivor fans here, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Big Survivor yep. fans. That person who spends hours talking about the hamburger that they're going to have when they first get off when they first get off the island and the you know that that swim or the well you know the luxury massage mm. any of those things that they are going to do and they talk about it a lot they're always the first voted off right that's that's the first thing you do is you get rid of that person everyone's gone too early too hard we have to pace ourselves with this stuff so you can't taunt yourself with after until after mm. is on the horizon oh, so gosh. can we just like can we just cancel those people Enjoy the now one day at a time. One 1,000-piece mm. jigsaw puzzle at a time, in my um, or, humble opinion. Or watching Splash. Or watching Splash. Mm. It, it, it was weird. I also went back and watched um, what, what, what the Bourne series. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Watching all of them. Yes. Wow. I've really gone back in time. I've watched some terrible, terrible movies. Also, reading-wise, I went back and read Harry Potter. Oh, oh, that's see, awesome. Comfort that's reading. reading. Comfort reading, Absolutely. which I actually think is quite good. We are going to talk to some amazing people this hour. We're going to chat with Tony Wilson, I guess, about the 1989 <laughs> Grand Final, I suppose. And we're going to catch up with a couple of special Sanctum sisters who've had a, a big week. But first of all, I mean, 
one of the most impressive people and super friend of the show, Dr. Bridie O'Donnell. She's the Director for Office for Women in Sport and Recreation, medical doctor, champion cyclist, you know, she's got a bit going on. Bridie, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Good morning. How are you all? Pretty good. How are you? Which is a loaded question these days. <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. I just eat, ate some porridge after going for a run, so I feel both <laughs> virtuous and full, and now I don't have to go out for the rest of the day. <laughs> well played. Now, Bridie, <laughs> we saw um, actually quite a special tweet from you last night about what, how your life is going to change in the, in the near future. Can you tell us about that? Well, um, we've seen some pretty um, devastating data come out of Italy, Spain and even the United States on um, uh, the terrible number of people dying of coronavirus, but also the impact that it's having on healthcare systems. And so far in Victoria and Australia, I think um, everyone's civilians and, and um, government officials alike are doing actually a really good job of doing what we need to do to flatten out the curve. But what we're projecting for Australia is that the the hardest part is going to be for us going into our normal flu season. So May and June is going to have a really significant impact on hospitals, emergency departments, um, GPs and the system really. And so um, after the health um, insurance and, and regulation and registration organisation have basically said to anyone who's not practising currently um, and who has skills in critical care, and I worked in intensive care for eight years and emergency departments for many years, um, that if they can be put on a pandemic sub-register and be available if they need us. So I'm not quitting my day job and I'm very um, being useful and, and feeling productive and um, doing what I'm doing. But if, if they need people to work in emergency departments and intensive cares and intubate people and um, keep people alive, then we need as many doctors and nurses and people with those skills as possible. So I'm, I'm just on, a, I'm on the bench, basically. Wow. Can I just say thank you um, to you and to all the people who are already out there, but those people who are willing to go back and, mm. and um, take on an ex extraordinary challenge um, on behalf of our country. So, you know, thanks, Bridie. Not that it surprises me, but you're awesome. <laughs> Well, I think, thank you, you're welcome, but also there are people doing stuff every day that um, is not just medical services, but, um, you know, we heard an amazing series of chats yesterday on ABC Radio where they talked to truck drivers who, of course, are continuing with their work but are not always in places where they can maintain good hand hygiene. They, they were talking about the number of times they go into rest stops and really can't um, wash their hands properly, uh, let alone have a shower for days. So there are people still keeping this country running in all different ways um, and who are not that visible as other leaders might be and, and so we are all in this together and the more we can all do to support each other the, the quicker we will survive. Um, Bridie, it's Nicole here. Um, just on that, the, there are a lot of things we're not seeing and maybe they're a little less visible in, you know, despite all the conversation around um, the coronavirus and the lockdown and, and just the lengths people have to go to to protect themselves. Um, it feels like, and certainly in my experience, that there are particular challenges for women who are trying to perhaps work from home and manage all of the other, um, you know, all the other day-to-day -day things within this really restrictive environment. Um, health and wellness tends to be the first thing to go. What sorts of things can women be doing to make sure that they aren't mm. forgotten? 
I think um, it's really important to recognise that this is the most extraordinary time of our lives and we've never done it before. Um, and so if you're feeling, um, if you're worried about getting sick or you're worried about losing your job or uh, maintaining security or you're worried, you feel powerless or you feel hopeless or bored or lonely or overwhelmed, that's actually all totally normal. It's very, very normal to be feeling those things. So to, the number one step is to acknowledge that not make yourself feel guilty or bad that you're not coping or that other people are doing this better than you are um, or they've got their home isolation with their two and a half kids and their partner all dialed because they don't. Um, the second thing is to acknowledge and we um, because I work in the Victorian public service and thousands of people just you know transition to working remotely in a very quick way and we've been trying to stay connected as possible to these um, staff and che by checking in on them and it was really obvious that um, everyone's experience is quite different. Some people are suddenly thrust into their home environment with kids that might be, say, teenagers who are off school or littleies um, who are um, can't go to childcare. And you may also have a partner there. They may be trying to work as well. Um, and even if everything was perfect, that's a lot, let alone um, when we know there are single parents, particularly single mums or women who are work, uh, living in relationships where they actually don't feel safe to work, mm. to work at home. And that's a huge one. We know that that's uh, um, the messages that keeps coming from our chief health officer and our premier is stay at home. Uh, but if you don't feel safe to be at home, um, that's a real worry. So I think also it's really important to allow people to find space for themselves in their home um, and set up a few systems that work for them, whether that's taking the time out from your kids and going outside with your pet or walking. Um, we've heard some people talk about going into their car and listening to a podcast you know, in the garage because they get some time and some space, that solitude. I absolutely recommend, and I'm not just saying this because I'm an annoying active person, but you have to try and get some exercise, whatever that is, in your way. It, we, even if it's 15 minutes of stretching while you listen to something or watch something on TV late at night and you're doing some Pilates, or you need to keep moving your body because that's one of the things that is not affected by a pandemic is how what your body can do. No matter where you started, if you're an Olympic athlete or a person with a serious physical disability, your body probably hasn't changed that much in the last couple of weeks. So still using your body and moving it, stretching it, is such an important part of both your mental and physical health. Oh, you, you and your porridge are inspiring me. You are listening, you are listening to the... My porridge The cold porridge is still inspiring. You are listening to The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. We're talking with Dr Bridie O'Donnell. She's the Director at the Office for Women and Sport and Recreation. Alicia. You will I just have to say, obviously you've written a lot about family violence and for those, um, do go to the website dhhs.vic.gov.au family violence support because that's a really important thing that a lot of people are going through. Just to pivot from that and talking about exercise, what is an elite Olympian, you know, all geared up for the Olympics this year or any kind of things that have been cancelled this year? How do you, you perhaps better than anyone, can get into that mindset of what they're going through? How, what do they do for the rest of the year? What are they going to do at home? I think some of them are still getting over the grief of um, perhaps being in the absolute form of their lives mm. um, and now having something 
postponed. I mean, postponed is better than not happening at all. Um, but for Olympians, I know they, um, the ones that I know uh, who've been pretty much, who've been selected, uh, they're devastated. And then to double up with that, they guilt, they're guilty. They feel really guilty that, that uh, you know, that this is a first world problem of, you know, having an Olympics cancelled. Um, and yet for them, it's probably their livelihood. It's their purpose. Um, they, so that we've heard footballers talk about this too. You know, if I'm not um, an Olympic rower, what am I? Um, if I'm not doing that thing that I'm exceptional at that makes me feel powerful and purposeful and uh, extraordinary and, and um, helps me with my goal setting, then what the hell am I doing with my life? So a lot of them experiencing that. Now that there's been an official date that at least many of them can focus on, okay, now how do I manage training um, in an indoor environment? Um, particularly if you're a person who is a swimmer or a rower or a person who needs space to do their thing. We've seen some of the AFLW players um, posting some fantastic content both about what they're doing from a fitness perspective and, and if you're Darcy, you know, how you're taking over the world in short film. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great clip. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but uh, for a lot of people, um, I saw another great interview with Brody Grundy because his partner is an um, intensive care physiotherapist and he talked about how for the first week in isolation he kind of did nothing, didn't do a lot of training. Uh, he's definitely there to um, be in support of his partner like many people are and helping her get through her job. <clears throat> But he said now he's starting to get into a bit of a rhythm of like, okay, I'm home. What can I do each day? What um, what versions of my normal training can I focus on? You're never going to be able to do the same amount of volume that you were doing if you were an endurance athlete. Um, if you're um, a fast-twitch fibre athlete or a sprint distance athlete, you're never going to be able to get the same uh, level of explosive detail unless you've got a treadmill that's fast enough or other equipment that's good enough. So you've got to find innovative ways of both staying mentally fresh um, um, focusing on one day at a time. I mean, this is the most extraordinary exercise in mindfulness that any athlete's ever going to get, which is day at a time stuff. And for, I mean, Bridie, we here have felt a bit put out when we've seen conversations about, for example, the NFL the NRLW being uh, discussed as something that might just they just might not go ahead with. And AFLW, people talk about the actual future of that, whereas there's no talk about the AFL men's competition not existing. It's just going to exist in a different way. Um, can you foresee some, I think, unnecessary sacrifices in women's sports? Like, we've come such a long way, and I feel nervous that um, our progression might, might be let down. I think it's understandable um, that with the obvious fixation by the broader community on AFLM that of course they're fearful of that and it's the time that it should be on television so so people are concerned about what that means and we certainly saw on Offsiders last week when they talked about um, with a reduced number of weeks how would they play out um, NRLM seasons and AFLM seasons. I mean ironically no one mentioned that they would have conferencing which I thought was so surprising given how successful it's been with the women. Um, but So I think it's understandable that people are thinking, holy moly, what are we going to do about this? Um, and I also know that we've seen this with community sport as well, that of course um, people are focusing on this, their biggest and loudest problems right now um, and they're focusing less on, um, you know, the nice-to-have elements. Now, I don't put AFLW as a nice-to-have uh, part of that sport. It's absolutely part of their core business from what we've heard um, the CEO and um, other leaders across the AFL describe is that they have no intention of cutting that out or axing it. Um, they're going to have to be like they've they've been even earlier this year around changing season lengths with expansion, more innovative on how they deliver and 
there may be more double headers or there may be more um, overlap. And, mm. and we, of course, in government are, are talking as well around the challenge that there will be of the crossover of um, AFLM and cricket. But in a bigger, on a bigger scale, uh, country football, netball and cricket, you know, how to, how to country and outer metro cricket clubs and footy clubs reconcile this October, November, December period where um, they'll be looking at who, who gets to be on the pitch at, on, on a Saturday and a Sunday. So if anything, if there are upsides from all of this really difficult time is that everyone's got to be smarter, they've got to be more efficient, um, everyone's got to spend their money more more practically, there's no wastage anymore um, and we've got to think about medium and long term as well as immediate and quick fixes. Love it. Bridie, thank you so much for your time. Stay well. Anytime. Thanks so much. Take care. Uh, now, out of sanctimers, we, we're still here, right? We're still here. We're still keeping you company. But one of the most important things is that you also keep us company. And the kind of input we get from the community around the sanctum has made us feel a, a lot better, I would say, in the last couple of weeks, knowing you're all out there. So we did put a call out to hear some of your voices over the next couple of months through this crazy time. And the first one we're going to hear from is Chewy, all the way from Miami. Outer Sanctum Gals, hi, it's Chewy from Miami, Florida. This is really exciting. I get to, well, I guess I don't get to hear y'all directly, but y'all get to hear me for a change. Yeah, this is a weird time, especially how I just started working for a food bank distribution. And, <laughs> you know, of course, I start just when everybody else is self-quarantining. And, you know, I am a at-risk individual, but... You know, I'm making it happen as best as I can because uh, my community needs food. And, you know, we have a lot of low income and laid off workers already and high unemployment down here. So one thing I do to decompress is really I just watch old W games. Like um, just today I was watching Crows St. Kilda at work because, you know, I just wanted a break. And I was on lunch. I figured, let's watch a W game. And, you know. It's just craziness. It's crazy. But, you know, I guess one of the things that keeps some kind of semblance of normalcy around here is the Outer Sanctum and interacting with y'all and the greater community as a whole. So thanks for bringing us all together, y'all. Uh, greatly appreciate that. Hope y'all are staying safe. Just all y'all go wash y'all's hands right now. Go wash y'all's hands and clean y'all's phones, please. That's about all. Thanks, y'all, for all the entertainment. good is that we Yo. wash your hands y'all is my uh, that's what i'm taking away from this show today you. a little bit earlier we were talking with bridie o'donnell about kind of what the what the game of footy that we love is going to look like mid-term long-term and one of our sanctum sisters rana hussein wrote an excellent piece in the guardian this week if we don't say so ourselves <laughs> about just this issue and she is going to talk to us right now hi rana Hello. Hey, how good is Chewy from the oh, States? Oh, so good. Wash your hands, y'all. <laughs> that I, accent. I, I, yeah, I chat a lot to Chewy online, but I never, I never get to actually hear his voice, so it's amazing. It was so good. Now, Rana, talk mm. us through this piece. It was titled, Pause Due to COVID-19 Gives the AFL a Chance to Build a More Agile and Inclusive Game. Why did you write this piece? I guess you sort of mentioned it before when you were talking to Bridie, like a bit of nerves around what will happen to football after this. And I, I work in diversity and inclusion in the game. And, um, you know, where I, from where I sit, I was just feeling a little bit anxious about this moment in time and what 
this means for football loving communities. Um, and then I also then kind of had this moment of realization that this is actually the moment where we can rebuild and restructure for the better and that this is kind of the point in time where we either move forward in a new direction or we repeat mistakes of the past. And so I sort of thought, okay, I, I don't know if anybody else is saying this. I just really want to tell as many people as possible, if we have to rebuild the way we do things, let's make sure we make it inclusive. And that was really kind of where my brain started. Rana, it's Nick here. Um, you do mention uh, that some of the things that are the first to go do tend to be those um, areas that perhaps were seen as as luxuries um, and that equity can land in that space in mm. a way that, you know, is really challenging for all of us. We just saw a report that um, there are suggestions that some clubs are, are feeling they might not be able to support a women's team in the AFL. Um, do you, I mean, this is basically what you're talking about, isn't it? Do you want to speak about that? Yeah, and look, I, I, I have every confidence the women's game will go ahead, um, but it's, it is the reality that some clubs are fa facing real financial hardship, and so um, it's it, it, it hurts, right? Like, I think for all of us who love women's sport, it hurts to hear that maybe um, the women's game isn't gonna continue and it's one of the financial kind of hardships the clubs will cut i think this is where i feel the most frustrated because we often see inclusion or serving um, marginalized communities as something we do like when things are good and when everything's mm. fine then we can address other communities but the reality is that those communities don't disappear they've always been there and this is the time to make sure we are serving as many people as possible. So I think, you know, the I, I guess I question, you know, who, who are the ones now tasked to make the decisions and take this game forward and how, how many different points of view are being considered? There's been a lot of love and support for your article and uh, a lot of love and support for the AFLW, of course, Nathan Burke coming out this week saying they've got it to this point now, this is the AFLW, uh, that I think there'd be an uproar if they did anything mm. to jeopardise that. And it's great to hear uh, him and many other voices doing that. I'm wondering uh, what, what do you see as an ideal situation coming out of this? I know you can't sum up everything or know every, <laughs> every point of this, but what, what is an ideal? Uh, league look like? I mean, and that's the thing, like I have the luxury of not being in charge of everything. <laughs> yeah, so I can kind of um, assess, take a step back. And I think that's the other thing. Like I think the people who are in charge at the moment are just so in it and stressed and trying to do what they can that actually potentially what is needed is that step back and kind of taking in the bigger picture. I think for me, I don't know, but I think moving forward, maybe a scrappier um, men's elite game and, you know, maybe the elite side of it is not as manicured and, um, you, you know, so invested in and some of that gets shared around so that community leagues as well are invested in because as much as watching the game is, you know, the biggest love, say, of my life, for so many people it's playing the game mm. and, and having those structures in community. We know what that does for communities, for their well-being um, and even financially. So I think investing in the 
in the game in all its formats, even if it's just a little bit to make sure they all survive, um, will bring community back to the game. And we will watch the game in any form, really. I mean, we watched it without any crowds and it was weird, but we tuned in. And I think if the elite game takes a little bit of a hit, but that then that wealth is spread around, potentially, I think it will still be lucrative for everybody. Rana, the um, the decision makers we've sort of referenced in sort of ob- oblique terms, but they mm. are from a very select group. They're not all of the presidents of the clubs. There's some of them. Um, they are from a particular cut of cloth, may I say. Um, are you hearing any talk about a wider consultation process? Is there, is there any hope for that? in the future because or in the very near future given the time limit what how else are they going to get other perspectives and points of view i don't know i i mean i the person i've spoken directly with is tanya hosh and she's in there and she's certainly um bringing different perspectives and fighting for different perspectives i'm sure there are other people doing that as well i guess the thing that alarmed me a little bit or i queried was that you know the AFL is moving with um, CEO committees to working groups to look at different areas of the game. And I, you know, if I I would just love to see other people included in those working groups. There are so many talented women in this industry who could sit on those groups and bring in different perspectives. Um, I think, I think people will start to be consulted, but I just, Things are moving fast and these are big decisions that I, I, I don't know. I guess my answer is I don't know. But um, there are people in there and I think if the more we at least ask the questions, it might just be something that people haven't considered and they might pivot and, and be more inclusive. Rana, while I've got you, I was going to bring this up later, but you actually have worked in clubs intimately and one of the big sticking points during the week was on memberships. So if mm. people didn't see it, there was a bit of a, a Barney on the news here between Eddie <laughs> McGuire, who's the president of Collingwood, and Tony Jones, who is a broadcaster on the telly here. And they were talking about whether or not fans should be could get their money back from memberships because... In these uncertain financial times, people are really struggling and um, that that's one of the extras, I suppose, in lots of people's lives. It's something when they have money, they can give it to a membership or something like that. Now, Eddie didn't uh, react super well, mm. I would think, to the question of uh, money getting back. He did acknowledge that people are struggling and obviously mm. there would be an outlet for them. But I just wanted to contrast this very volatile conversation that was had there with uh, the president of our club, Richmond, Rana, Peggy O'Neill, was mm. on ABC Radio in Melbourne uh, during the week with Virginia Trioli and this is what she had to say about memberships. The Tiger Army is what got us to where we are and having over 100,000 members is quite an achievement. We're very proud of that because obviously the club means a lot to a lot of people. But at the same time, we understand this is a really unique situation that people are having financial stress and our membership department is still there. People can call and talk to us. One of the things is that uh, that clubs haven't, a lot of them haven't come out with formal positions, and I know that we haven't because the AFL has said that they're going to review what the season looks like at the end of this month. 
and whether it's going to be how many rounds or a be- at least a better idea of what that might look like. If anybody's doing it tough out there and they need to talk to us about um, arrangements, the membership department's open. And, and we sold more than 50 memberships last week. And oh, really, making, did you? And wow. people are making donations just as a show of support, and we appreciate that. I I would say if there's any crisis committee getting mm. established in the next couple of weeks, maybe put Peggy on it. I, She's, I vote yeah. for me. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm surprised she hasn't had the call up yet, but she's such a steady, sensible voice. At you, know, I mean, she's been through some tough times with the club as well, and and in those times, she's just been very steadfast and um, sensible. So I would love to have her in my corner if I was going in it through a crisis. Um, but I will say on the memberships thing, I think. Um, I think people don't know that football clubs do quite a bit off the field as well mm-hmm. and I you know and like my my role in particular but that every club has a community department that is doing grassroots football community engagement and if the clubs don't continue then that work doesn't continue and there are still people doing that work certainly at Richmond there are people still there engaging with Indigenous communities um, trying to um, pivot in this moment in time and so while memberships yes go to um, putting on games they also go to that really important community work and so you know if people do have the capacity um, to keep their memberships it it actually is serving that purpose too. So uh, just a little bit of a plug there. (laughs) Well, I wanted to take out a membership for another club. I'm not saying which other club, but I think I might Mm. this week Mm. just because they're struggling. Yep, absolutely. And it is Mm. amazing to get that insight from you, Rana. As always, Mm. love your work. And I've been watching Splash. I know you've been (laughs) digging deep into the 90s films too. So can we, like, watch something virtually together soon? Or (laughs) Yes, I think we have that on the cards, right? Ten things I heard about you. Yeah, and um, Three Men and a Little Baby. Anyway, we'll discuss this off the radio. (laughs) Love your work, Rana Hussein. See you later. Bye. See you later. Now, we've been hearing from the voices from the actual outer, people who we love and they keep us going. One of those people is Robin, who we just adore, and she actually got in touch with us this week. It is so lovely to hear her voice. So here, saying g'day to you all, is Robin. Morning, Outer Sanctum. Um, I have no relationship with footy at the moment. It's so far down my list of priorities that um, I can't believe it, but... You know, I that's that's the truth. I'm having actually having a wonderful time. My choir um, is working at ways of singing together and talking together, which has been great. Um, I've I used to be a really big letter writer. I'm writing to kids that I know and saying, "Want to be a pen friend?" And apparently, in the mail are going to be a few letters which will be heartfelt stories of how they're feeling at the moment. So that feels great. Um, I'll, I'll respond in time. Reading a lot, podcasting a lot, and just living in the moment. It's hard, but it's great. Thanks for the opportunity. Now it's time to get up. Bye.
You are listening to The Outer Sanctum. It's great to have your company. I'm so inspired by our Miami correspondent. Now, Alicia and Nicole. <gasps> I'm so excited. <sighs> Look, this used to be a Hawthorne-only podcast, and it has we have diversified. We've but been infiltrated. Still not. <laughs> well, the 1989 grand final between the Hawks and Geelong, or the Cats, is considered one of the greatest that ever was. And this is, you know, even amongst non-Hawthorne supporters. Uh, you saw Hawthorne going back-to-back to back to for, for the first time in Geelong in a grand final for the first time since 67. Now, the scores were ridiculously high. Hawks, 144, Geelong, 138. And injuries included broken ribs, multiple concussions, ripped muscles, punctured lungs. This is the pinnacle of 80s footy and the end of an era, really. So Tony Wilson, author of many other sports books, novels, kids books, documentaries, broadcaster and Hawthorne connoisseur, (laughs) he has written this amazing book that I could not put down. I read in one sitting, 1989, The Great Grand Final. How are you, Tony? I haven't written anything as good as that intro. Thank you so much. I'm pretty pretty happy. Well, look, I just, from start to finish, it was like a Jane Austen novel for me. The romance, the ups and the downs, it had it all. And, I mean, for me, just this is better than anything uh, that, you know, um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote. There are are 12... yeah, look, uh, there are 12 seconds left in the 1989 grand final when Hawthorne's Robert Dipper Domenico becomes the last person to touch the VFL, the ball in the VFL era. You know, you've got Dipper with a punctured lung and, uh, a f- you know, getting no- knocked out, knocking Gary Hawking's teeth out. It's got it all. Well, I think he is a complicated hero, is Dipper. Um, he both receives and dishes it out in 89. But the game itself... Um, is kind of lifted to its pedestal for a reason. Um, as you mentioned, 21 goals kicked by each side. I think Geelong's score is still the 14th highest score in the history of grand finals. It's 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 got a, that element of tragedy to it as well because this wonderfully attacking team deserved to win one and you know and they don't as it turns out over the over the next mm. six years. But um, this is as close as they went and they provided one of the most compelling sporting days in Australian history. We probably should have done a warning actually to Geelong people <laughs> listening that this was coming up. But yeah, we, really, warning. we really didn't, Nicole. Uh, Tony, what a joy. <laughs> Thank you for indulging us in this way. Um, the, uh, my personal story with 1989 Grand Final is actually kind of a fraught one because I went to six Grand Finals in a row from 83 on and then I snapped all the ligaments in my ankle playing netball around early September and I could not... I was having surgery and all various things. When the time came for the game, I could not get a ticket because I couldn't stand up and queue up all night. And so that's the first grand final in years that I missed, uh, or at least wasn't able to attend, and uh, had to watch it in Glenferry Road with the tram cutting through my reception every time. Oh, no. It was actually excruciating. I still went to Glenferry afterwards to celebrate. Don't worry about that. But yeah. the, the great thing about this grand final is there are so many other stories behind it before you even get to the game. Um, and Alan Jean's health scare or health or comeback from his um, brain aneurysm is, is certainly right up there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So he, um, he 
is a man on a mission a bit by 89 because he's he's lost back-to-back attempts in 1984 and 1987. And then uh, even worse at the end of 87, he goes to the under-19s best and fairest night and complains to his wife that he's uh, has headaches. And um, fortunately, she takes him to hospital and, and they find that he's got a bleed on the base of his brain. He's got an aneurysm, um, a mild stroke. Um, and I think it's something like 30% of people with the... It's around 30% of people in his situation die. Wow. And so he was really, really fortunate to come out and not only come out alive, but to come out with very few um, long-term mental deficits. Um, and so he, he returned to the coaching job after his compulsory year off that the doctors ordered. Um, and he was really, really wanting to continue the job. He felt like he'd missed out in '88, and and for all his sort of quiet and clipped tones that we saw in the media, he was a he was a fierce man, a really competitive man. And you know, I really enjoyed writing those bits of the book. You know, the, the sort of the way he wrestled and the way that he played tennis. You know, his his players were were, were aware of just how competitive he was. And so this became a, a mission for him in 89 to, to do the back-to-back job with Alan Joyce um, from the previous year. Uh, and his players were very motivated by that as well, the, the sense that, that he'd missed out and he'd done so much for the team. Tony, I, I hate to do this, but I was born in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that the 1989 grand final was epic, right? Because I've watched it back because I am that person. But how do you explain to people who maybe didn't weren't around in the time how special that grand final was? How, what would you say and what would how would you get them sucked in? Well, uh, I'd say that footy in that era belonged um, to a, a style that we don't see today. Um, and so actually there's a chapter in the book called A Beautiful Anachronism. And, and it, it basically just says that because the players were professional in the sense that they were putting time into the skills and the fitness side of things, but not professional in the sense that they sat there all day um, drinking in team t- chats and uh, meetings and coaching sessions. What, what the result was that they were very proficient and athletically spectacular to watch, um, but they didn't really have team defence. And so the, the, the hundred year tradition of playing man on man or woman on woman football, um, that, that was, uh, that was still in evidence. And so, and so when, you know, there's moments in the last quarter where, you know, one of the great grand final duels in history is, is Chris Langford and, and Gary Ablett. And yeah, you know, I'd, I'd maintain that Abbott would have kicked fourteen on anyone else that day. Like he was, he Langford won so many contests and did, and got so, gave so much run to his team. But there in the last quarter, on several occasions, they are standing under a ball with a premiership on the line, and it's just the two of them. And Abbott wins a few and does some amazing things, and 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 Langford brushes one through for a behind and 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 uh, and clears a ball as well. And and so there's sort of a sense that 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 age old glory of person to person combat in footy. Um, was was at its pinnacle at that time because what I what I call black and white footy the, the era pr- previous mm. um, it suffers I think when we watch it because we don't get the same vivid um, uh, appreciation because the the coverage is worse but also the, the 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 game hadn't quite evolved to the speed and um, and, and excitement of the eighties and early nineties either because. The, it was a bit kick to kick. They'd, they'd get the ball, they'd kick it as far as they could and then they'd get it again and they'd kick it back as far as they could. And so while, while there were a lot of highlights and, it, it, and there was still a, a lot of person on person, um, I don't think it was 
it, it wasn't at that perfect point in the game's evolution. We're talking with Tony Wilson, author of 1989, The Great Grand Final. And this is so visceral, this book. You're talking about being at, on the Olympic stand as you watch the game. You talk about Herald reporter Shane Templeton saying about Dipper, I could actually hear the air hissing out of his lungs. There is so much to unpack here. But what you did recently when another radio station um, decided to do a recall of the, the game, you were tweeting along with that. What was it like to review? visit it in the in today's age uh well i do see it i've seen it so many times i almost can recite the commentary and so um it was interesting to hear them it was interesting to hear them it was it was what it was the blokiness of um triple m that were doing it and it was interesting to hear that um the, the way that a modern calling team might take on that game and they were having a lot of fun with oh you know i've got a feeling Dermy will get up here you know like the sort of <laughs> And, and, uh, and that and that, that gave me a laugh. You know, they were playing with the the the, the revered history of the game. Uh, but the thing I found really hard, actually, listening to it, was um, Billy Brownless was part of their their commentary team, and he had a I guess he had a pretty ordinary day that day. And, and they were really giving it to him. You know, you didn't know oh, what a terrible effort, and, and it was all that kind of blokey Aww. hamming up and. And I just thought, he actually lives with pain with this thing. This mm-hmm. isn't pain that goes away. And so there was Billy kind of, you know, he was just copying it again and, and being the, the good sport that Billy is. But but I, but I just sort of thought, I'll give him a break, you know. Don't, don't, you don't have to, especially Wayne Carey, who's got two premierships. It was just, it was just hard. I find that hard to listen to. Yeah, that's harsh. Uh, again, warning. Now, Tony, have you already got other games that you would recall? What other games would you oh, like to go back and have a go at? <laughs> well, the, 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 unfortunately, some of the best games... Well, the, one of the next best grand finals, a lot of people say 2012 is the mm. next best grand final in history, and that's got a, that's painful for a whole lot of reasons for <laughs> sure us. Sure eh? But the, um, that's, that's one... Uh, the 2005 grand final for the Sydney Swans is a fantastic yes. grand final, and and, um, and I think the story of what Paul Roos... I, re- I read Paul Roos's, um autobiography... And that's a fantastic sporting book if anyone's interested in, in, you know, the way that he built that club and got the job, you know, with player power. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that that's another one that I think the story's told pretty well by Paul, but um, um, that's a, a game that I think that would be worthy of a book. Um, there's been really good ones done on 1970 by Martin Flanagan already and 2016 he did one as well about the Bulldogs Premiership. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean, there's, it's amazing. They're the ones that come immediately to mind. I mean, maybe you could suggest others. But, 2017. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> I have I have tried to reassure Geelong fans that this isn't a book that is just a you know rubbing it in their face. No, like it I, isn't. What I what I try to say is that this is an event that was created by both sides, and then at least forty to fifty percent of the the story is told from the Geelong perspective, um, because you know they had to make it to make it such a good story, and they had to play the way they did for it to to endure down the decades. So um, I think Geelong supporters are 
enjoying, in inverted commas, the, the read. Um, but there's obviously a painful end coming. I don't think it's just a Hawthorne fan's book. I really don't. I mean, it, absolutely, I loved it because I get to relive something that was joyful. But it's really a footy fan's book, so I really encourage everyone to get out there and and buy it. What a time to release a book, Tony. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's really... what a, Yeah, it's just what you want as an author, to have no <laughs> seeing of a product in a bookshop. Well, yeah. there's Fantastic. So m- but, um, good luck I, with it. There's so many Outer Sanctum fans who love to buy this book. Oh, so. thanks. Thank you very much. Um, love, the, love the podcast and the show. So well done, everyone. Um, appreciate having me on. Good on you, Tony, and well, that's it for Hawthorne. No more Hawthorne chat <laughs> today. <laughs> now, that you are listening to The Outer Sanctum. In a moment, we've bullied one of the other Outer Sanctums into doing our job for us, and you're going to hear the 22 Under 22, brought to you by Julia Kira. Julia Kira, when we got this message saying, you know, we'd love The Outer Sanctum to do a 22 Under 22, which, by the way, if you're listening, you can do it too. You can pick 22 of the best players under the age of 22 and upload your own team. And they said to us, and I thought, oh, and I said to Alicia, maybe you could do it. And Alicia said to Nick, maybe you could do it. And then we realised we had someone <laughs> who was actually knew. What and it was 21. <laughs> Julia Kira, g'day. Oh, hello. I feel so anxious about this team. <laughs> yeah, you've got regrets already. I do. But then you've got to get, you've got to boot someone from your selection. So it's very harsh. It's, it's very harsh. I, you know, I hate selecting the team at the best of times, and this just is particularly brutal. Can I pick hey, out? Right? Yeah, go. Can I pick out one thing immediately? Your vice captain and captain, you've gone with a full defence defensive leadership, which I love. By the way, Izzy Huntington's your captain, Libby yeah. Birch. Your vice captain, tell us about that. Do you think I think defenders are great leaders? <laughs> Where would that come I'm from? Feeling a, Where I'm feeling did a vibe. I say the majority of my football? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, <laughs> I did actually notice that when I put it in there. But being a leader, we saw Daisy Pierce lead from halfback this year. I think it is actually a great place for the captain to be because they can look up the field, they can direct, they can be the general. So I'm fine with my selection, Sarah, I think. I think you've done a very good job. (laughs) Now, you've got a whole lot of superstars. One thing I've noticed is just how much... If you do this in AFLM... Because, like, some of them, you don't know them, whereas this 22 is the best side I've ever seen in AFLM. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, all the superstars. Full of gold. Yeah, it's full of gold. Yeah. Who who was your easy picks and who missed out? Oh, um... <laughs> <laughs> easy picks. Uh, Patricia, Prasparkas, uh, Hatchard, Conti. Like, they were all in very easily. But there there are lots of midfielders. The way that the actual structure of this thing is is that you people are only in one position. So the, the midfield depth was really strong. So there were some really great midfielders who didn't get on the park, which I just can't even deal with. Like, I haven't put Grace Egan in. How is that possible? Well, she'll be having words with you. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to have to give you some therapy for this after this. this is I know, really we really big. threw you under the bus, Julia. Sorry. <laughs> As if I'm not anxious enough about the world. <laughs> well, in writing, we call it killing your darlings. So yeah, that's, that's right. That's brutal. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so in those cases, Julia, where it was a bit tight, so, you know, maybe the Georgia G, for example, that some of those uh, close calls, what was your criteria for, you know, picking one over another? Um, so I had to really narrow my focus down to their form for this year. 
So that's how I, I did have to ponce her in at one point and then I booted her for Georgia G. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think it was about, yeah, the form this year and the impact on games this year. So that's how some of, some people got in when others didn't. Mm. Um, but still, oh, my God, I can't deal with it. Like, Olivia Purcell's on the bench. What a joke. Julia, we have done you a disservice, but you have done us a service because we miss AFLW and we just wanted to talk about the team with you. We've tweeted it out, so everyone should go and have a squeeze at Julia's judging harshly and then let her know how you feel about it. Julia, we can't wait to see you in person. Thank you so much for joining us today and doing our job for us. You're a legend. No worries, but I'm going to go cry now. Bye. <laughs> Nick, Alicia, it's been an absolute pleasure talking oh. footy with you this week. Now, I might I might add there's a few sanctumers missing this yeah. week and they are hurting because they lost um, a wonderful woman and a dear friend of theirs. And because they're such wonderful women and dear friends of us, we really wish we could be with them and give them hugs because it's really important more now at this moment where we're all separate physically from one another to be there mentally and emotionally for each other. And so to our friends who are hurting, we love you a lot and we're with you and we're hugging you, so to speak, but from a distance. So I just wanted to give the last words of this show to Emma Race, who's going to explain what's happening and a little special tribute to a really wonderful woman. Thank you for listening to The Outer Sanctum. This week, one of The Sanctum's biggest supporters, Cara Ward, died from cancer. She was smart, funny, human compassionate and she interrogated the status quo to make the world fairer. She was all the things the outer sanctum aims to be. She was also just our dear friend, a girl in the outer with her kids and her friends, with her jeans tucked into her saint socks. This week's episode is dedicated to you, Cara J. Ward. We will miss you. Thank <laughs> you.